Good afternoon. Got stories, many stories. How are we doing? Be all right? Good. So, we're looking at uh, our cultural values with this preaching series. So, we've got six cultural values. And uh, so, what I want you to do is cover your left eye with one hand, please. Come on, everybody. Cover your left eye. Okay, well, that's all right, because you can look with your right eye. Okay, so this is, like, this is your eye test. So can we read the first line? Can you read the top line, please? Okay, second line. Okay, now, now switch over to the other eye now. Okay, and what's the next one down? Okay, carrying on, please. And now covering both eyes. Well, that's, that's messed things up, hasn't it? Good. Welcoming and caring, right. So um, that's, that's good. Nobody needs to change their glasses. So these are our cultural values, and I'll be treating one of those, or talking about one of those in a bit. But um, we're going to start off with the story of someone in the Bible who inspires me. And to be honest, their story, it's worth writing a musical about them because it's such an amazing story. It's a great story. Let's see if you can figure this out. I wore my coat with golden lining, bright colors shining, wonderful and new. There we go. Isn't it good? So, who is it? Exactly, it's Elijah. Um, Oh, no, it's Joseph. Good. So, I'm going to go through the story very quickly, and then we'll take a few, uh, get a few lessons from the story of Joseph. So, Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. He was Jacob's favorite son. Who knows what it's like to be the favorite son? Anyone? Dan, come on, mate. You must be. Where's your mum? Joy, is he your favorite son? Yep, there we are. There's one. Okay, there's one. So he was Jacob's favorite son, which really annoyed his brothers. So much so that they decided to sell him into slavery. That's nice, isn't it? That's not going to give you trauma. But anyway, sold into slavery by his own brothers, and he was taken away to Egypt, a long way off, a different culture, a different language, and he was sold to a guy called Potiphar, who was a general in Pharaoh's army. And they told their dad that he was dead. Lovely, nice bunch of brothers, just what you want. Joseph worked hard, and Potiphar noticed that the Lord was with him, and had blessed him through Joseph. So he put him in charge of the whole household. But Potiphar's wife had also noticed Joseph, and every day she tried to seduce him. And every time, Joseph resisted. But one day, she got fed up of this, accused Joseph of trying to rape her, and he was thrown into prison. But even there, the Lord was with him, and he was made responsible for all that was done there, but he was still in jail. 
One day, Pharaoh's butler and Baker were thrown into jail. They both had strange dreams, and Joseph interpreted them correctly. The butler returned to work in the palace, but Joseph remained in jail. Two years later, Pharaoh had some strange dreams. It's difficult. I really want to sing the songs. (laughs) But I've got to control. I love the musical. I love it. It's just such an amazing musical. But anyway, sorry. I, I want to sing the songs, but I am resisting temptation. So Pharaoh, two years later, Pharaoh had some very strange dreams as well. And the butler suddenly remembered this guy called Joseph in prison two years before um, he'd met who could interpret dreams. So Joseph was taken from the prison to the palace. He listened to Pharaoh's dreams. And contrary to popular belief, the Pharaoh didn't look like Elvis. Okay, But if you've seen the musical, you'll know why I've said that. Um, anyway, where am I? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in the West End. Actually, it was at the Haymarket just a couple of months back. We went to see it. It was fantastic. I love it. Uh, anyway, sorry. So, yeah. So, Joseph correctly interpreted Pharaoh's dream. He said, look, there's going to be seven years of abundance, but then there's going to be seven years of famine. So, what you need to do is find someone to organize a program to store grain away during the seven years of abundance so that there's enough to live on during the famine for seven years. Pharaoh was so impressed that he made Joseph his second in command. Joseph organized and administered the whole project, and Egypt was blessed through Joseph. And they survived the famine that came seven years later. And at some point during the famine, when it was really biting hard, Joseph's brothers decided that the only solution for them was to go to Egypt and beg or trade for grain. And so there they were, kneeling, bowing down before this guy, this man, and they didn't realize who it was. Didn't realize it was Joseph. Now, if this were a Hollywood film, the ending would probably be quite different. Because in Hollywood, they like revenge. A good film's got revenge in it. And so if it was Hollywood, you might have Joseph sending them off with nothing and hiding a little note in their bag when they get home to read, saying, it was me all the time. Revenge. Or he could have had them thrown into prison. And the ending scene could have been Joseph standing, looking through the prison bars. Don't you remember me? The brother that you sold? Now you're the ones who are going to rot in jail. And he walks off. Title music, air plays, credits roll. What a fantastic ending. Joseph got his revenge. He could have just had them executed. And just before they die, he reveals his true identity. That's what you'd expect in a Hollywood film, isn't it? Yes, it is. Shut up. Be quiet, Robert. But Joseph showed that he was really a man of God. Because he said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? As for you, what you intended against me for evil, 
God intended for good in order to accomplish a day like this, to preserve the lives of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So Joseph reassured his brothers and spoke kindly to them. After all that they'd done to him, their evil act of betrayal, selling their own brother into slavery, years and years of torment. He lost his youth. He'd been separated from his father and his family. He'd been a slave in a foreign country. He'd been put in prison for a crime he'd not committed. He'd been forgotten. But Joseph still showed true graciousness towards his brother, brothers. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Now, we could spend at least an hour unpacking just that verse, but we're not going to, because that's going to take a long time. But what we are going to talk about is graciousness. What can we learn from Joseph? Well, we learn that the graciousness is the evidence of a true son or daughter of God. Joseph proved how close he walked with God, not just through interpretation of dreams, not just resisting temptation, but also by showing graciousness to his brothers when it could have been so easy to seek revenge. In Ephesians 5, 1, we call to be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. And Psalm 103.5 tells us that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. These are some of the characteristics of God that we should be showing. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's how God treats us and that's how he wants us to treat each other. Philippians 2.5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or attitude as Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to explain what that meant. God becoming man, becoming a servant, washing people's feet, and then dying on the cross. And the context of all this is how we relate to each other. Well, that's not easy, is it? But that's the example that we're supposed to follow in our relationships with our family. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave each one of us. And in Colossians 3, 12 to 14, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, 
which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, sometimes we want to simplify the New Testament and say, yeah, love your brothers and sisters. That's what it's all about. And it, it is when it comes to the family. But sometimes we kind of gloss over all of that without well, actually thinking, well, what does that look like? What, what, you know, what does that mean? It's very easy to say, oh, let's just love each other. Well, there's lots of people, you know, in the world today that say, oh, yeah, we just love each other. But it's not really godly love, is it? But in these two passages in Ephesians and Colossians, it gives some important details as to how we express that love for each other. It's difficult. It's hard. It's challenging. But we're following the attitude of Jesus. And Jesus washed feet. Have you ever done that? Literally washed feet? Or had your feet washed? It's beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful experience. Whether you're doing the washing or whether you're having your feet washed, it's beautiful. But it represents something far bigger. An act of service. Of serving each other. Of wanting to put things right. Forgiving. Showing compassion. Grace. Jesus said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation is more important than worship. (sighs) Thanks, Stephen. Reconciliation is more important than worship. Jesus said, I want, God wants mercy more than he wants sacrifice. Oh man, this is heavy today, isn't it? But there are days when we just got to stir things up a bit. When God needs to just put his finger on some bits and pieces in our lives and say, come on. Let's sort this out. I hope you're hearing a voice of love today. A voice of grace. This is not a voice of accusation. This is a voice which is speaking to me as well. And this is what God's been challenging me on as I've been preparing for this for the last month, I think. This is serious stuff. We're a family. Families don't walk out on each other. Families don't give up. As a family, we annoy each other. We get on each other's nerves. I mean, I I see Annie is laughing there. And it's understandable. Look who she's been married to. (laughs) Sorry, Laurie. But I'll tell you what... If, if you ask her, has it been worth the battles, the struggles, what would you say, Annie? Yes, it's been worth it. Sorry, Laurie. I love you, mate. There aren't many of us West Ham supporters left. But let's be honest. As a family, we annoy each other. 
We say things that we shouldn't say. We have sulks. We have bad attitudes. We slam doors. We hurt each other. Family life is like that. But a family where God is at the center will always seek to put things right. We don't run away from our problems. We don't bury our hurts. We deal with them. If you look around, please don't. But if you were to look around, (laughs) the people that are in this room today, I'm sure that every one of us would see at least one person who's annoyed us or hurt us or who we've annoyed or hurt at some point. It's part of family life. We can't get around that. Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and complained? Why doesn't my prayer ever get answered? Has anyone ever here complained to God about an unanswered prayer? Come on, let's be honest. You know that Jesus is our high priest. He knows exactly what we face and because he's faced it all himself. There's a prayer that Jesus prayed which I don't think has been answered yet. John 17:23, Jesus high priestly prayer. Just before he went to the cross, he prayed that the church would be united, that we would be one. If anyone's got the right to complain about a prayer that wasn't answered, it's Jesus. Because what we see in the world today is a family that's divided. Now, we're only looking at our own family here. But in our own family, we have to admit that there are times when that prayer hasn't been answered. Where we're not united. It's our choice. Jesus said that a house divided will fall. But Psalm 133 says that when we live together in unity, that's when God sends the blessing. And what an amazing blessing it is. I'm learning not to hang on to bad situations, bad attitudes, feelings of resentment. I'm I'm not going to get it before I move on to to glory. But I'm trying. I'm trying to do that. The steps course is good in this. It's really good in dealing with these issues, putting them right, talking to people. It's essential. We remain imprisoned like Joseph was. All the while we hang on to bad feelings, resentments, hurts, instead of just dealing with them. But we're called to put things right. As children of God, we're called to, make, to take the initiative to actually take the first step towards putting things right with our brothers and sisters. It's our responsibility and it's our choice. The church, the family of God, won't prosper all the while there are unresolved issues amongst us. A house divided falls. Not forgiving, not putting things right, hurts you. It hurts the other person, it hurts the church family, and it hurts God. 
So for your sake, for the sake of your family, for the sake of our church, family, and the will of God, please make a commitment to put things right with those with whom you have an issue. Make that decision. Make that commitment. Talk to someone. Pray with someone. Ask forgiveness. But God's looking for a united family. God wants to pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing in this family here. But we've got to get that unity. We've got to get things put right. The barriers amongst us, the things that are letting in the darkness, we need to close up those gaps. Show the same attitude that Joseph showed and show the same attitude that Jesus showed. Washing feet, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to get on your knees. Putting things right with your family, you've got to humble yourself. Not necessarily on your knees, literally, but in your heart, you've got to do that. But there are rewards for doing it. I'm sure everyone here has had the experience of putting things right with someone, carrying a weight, carrying a burden, because you know you're not right with that other person. And you fight it and fight it and fight it, and then finally you can't handle it anymore. You talk to that person, and it really is like that oil that's being poured down upon you, and you feel the blessing of God returning. It's worth doing. So that's the word I want to leave. That's the example for us to follow. And please, let's, just, let's not leave it here. Just one more Sunday, another message. But let's take this message, please. If you've heard from God today, if God's putting his finger on something you know you've got to sort something out with somebody, then please make that decision that you're going to do it. Okay? Thank you. God bless you.